play. Yeah, that's, so that's my when, prediction. I think if, the, if UCLA stays ranked as a team and their Farmar is healthy or they keep winning without him, if we beat them, we'll be able to be ranked because we should win every game up to that point. So. Yeah, I mean, we'll watch us drop one. Yeah, lose hey, Delaware South State. Florida played us tough last year. I forget who they had in the post, but that, it was that Terrence, really quick Terrence Leathers scored like 95 points against us. Yeah, and they're, they're looking for uh, some, some lesser competition <laughs> now that they're playing in the Big East. So it's not going to be an easy go for the Bulls this year. But uh, And plus they're playing in Florida, which is another yeah. tough thing for the Wolverines. So it's not going to be a very it's easy game. It's not a gimme game. game. No, it's not a gimme game. Not at all. But the Wolverines, on the whole... Have a have a pretty easy non-conference schedule, and if they want to have any success as, as a whole this season, it's it's going to come down to the Big Ten, obviously, and they're going to have to uh, maybe pull a couple of upsets, beat beat teams like Indiana, who they oh, never almost they haven't beat. They have not. I don't know when the last time Michigan beat Indiana was, but they haven't beat Indiana or Illinois the entire time I've been at school here. Yeah, but uh, with that talk about the Michigan basketball team, we're going to wrap things up today. On Extra Points, so for everybody here in the studio, I'm Steve Lake saying good night and go blue. And FM Ann Arbor, the sports department would like to thank you for your continued support of University of Michigan Student Radio. Moss knocks over Campbellini, winds up and he scores! Just Campbellini lets a laser go from the near side circle, and the Wolverines take a 1 0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Campbellini. Bing Crosby, wrap your troubles and dreams, take four. Castles may tumble, that's made after all. Life's really funny that way. Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastards. I didn't know which eight bars he was going to cut. Why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. Uh, the last bastion of freeform. WCBN FM and Abba. Sounds like a bunch of left-wing hippies to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez, that mic is on. The mic's on. Oh, my God. Turn off the microphone. Well, the mic is on, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim DeWire. Winter is here. (laughs) I'm stuffed up to prove it. We've had all sorts of adventures the last couple of... uh, Ah, the last ten days, basically, starting with the night before Thanksgiving. Well, anyway, uh, plan for victory. Okay. <laughs> we'll just start out with that. Uh, Bush gets yet another brain damage award. Um, I don't know why anybody in the White House thinks... Uh, that anyone in the world believes a thing they say? Well, that and the, <laughs> just the concept that we're going to have a public relations campaign now uh, to sell the war back to the American people. Uh, once you've lost them on this issue, you've lost them. 
because uh, they've, as the saying goes, finally seen the light. And the idea that now he's talking about a plan for victory is uh, demonstrative of the fact that he never had one to begin with. Day late and a dollar short, as Grandpa used to say. So, of course, uh, over the week, the past week, uh, Cheney went back to his uh, undisclosed location. Uh, he had proved to be... Uh, well, he briefly emerged to acknowledge that, yes, John Wertha is a noble man. Radioactive, and that's, of course, why we affectionately call him Mr. Burns. So he's no doubt back in control of the power plant uh, at the undisclosed location. And, of course, Romy the Big Dummy, Bush, and Condi Rice are now uh, out on the uh, PR uh, stump uh, for on behalf of the uh, White House to get back to selling the war and coming up with a plan for victory. Yeah, what is it? Bush's uh, document is like a 35-page document or something, which outlines the plan for victory. Uh, I think there was more uh, text involved in the setup for the mission accomplished uh, debacle. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of items on Condi uh, and uh, some media-related stuff on her, but just to go straight to the Brains Damage Awards here... Um, well, Rumsfeld has the top off the list for his uh, item last week. This is from a news item dated uh, November 30th. That uh, <laughs> the enemy are not insurgents. Quote, this is a group of people who don't merit the word insurgency, I think. He realized this over the Thanksgiving break. It was an epiphany. I think that you can have a legitimate insurgency in a country that has popular support and has a cohesiveness that has a legitimate gripe. These people don't have a legitimate gripe. <laughs> okay, uh, let's say you buy that on face value, um, even though their uh, country is occupied and uh, has been essentially under U.S. attack for almost 15 years of one kind or another. If we want to play along with Rumsfeld's game of a semantic footsie, Okay, sure, let's call them freedom fighters, like we used to call the UNITA rebels, who were undermining the elected government of Angola. Or, of course, uh, Ronald Reagan's Contra freedom fighters, who uh, engaged in the spread of freedom and democracy by bombing health clinics. And, of course, and the Afghan rebels were called sure. Mujahideen, right. freedom fighters at one point by Reagan. So what goes around comes around. And, yeah, I mean, as for Condi Rice... Uh, her language uh, regarding semantics about about torture is, uh, well, her language is tortured. Indeed. Uh, um, and her statements today uh, claiming that we're in a new kind of war. Uh, I don't know what she's talking about. War is uh, as old as, uh, well, civilization itself, I'm sure. Uh, isn't that in the Bible, Cain and Abel? Well, right. It wasn't exactly a, a war, <laughs> but the point is uh, there's been violence. Uh, preemptive war is nothing new. Uh, ask Japan. Ask Germany. Ask the United States. Uh, how many times have we invaded various countries in Latin America using preemptive war as a concept? So, I mean, the phrase preemptive war is offensive, but it's not a new concept. And the idea of resisting an occupation is, well, goes back to the Huns. For example, the uh, Roman Empire discovered that there were people that resisted occupation. Right. There are consequences to military activities, and the response of locals is one of them. So, okay, they don't have sophisticated multi-billion dollar weapon systems to fight the United States. They use improvised roadside bombs. They use suicide bombs. 
their tactics may be offensive, but the idea that it's a new kind of war, uh, Condi Rice is just wet behind the ears. Yeah, there's a couple of bizarre items uh, about her. Uh, one in particular uh, in today's times about her rock star image, quote unquote, which is really bizarre. But first of all, let's deal with this uh, defense of the torture thing. Yeah, um, she is, and this is from a brief item by uh, Joel Brinkley. <clears throat> she's getting ready to. Uh, she's leaving for uh, Europe. She'll be, uh, I'm sure, having interesting conversations in uh, Germany, where of course. Uh, the new uh, premier there is going to be embarrassed by the fact that there have been hundreds of CIA flights um, through uh, Germany, landing in German air bases to transport uh, torture victims to uh, el- other countries elsewhere in Europe and in the Middle East. But this uh, short item by Joel Brinkley, a rice to defend U.S. on reports of prisons for terror suspects, notes that this, even as she tries to quell concerns... A senior aide said, Miss Rice would not confirm that the prisons where such torture occurs exist. Right. Instead, she used this sort of interesting semantic uh, device with the present tense. Uh, she didn't address right. past issues. Uh, she said, you know, is it depends what is is or was. Absolutely. Is, or, <laughs> wait a minute. Didn't we already do that with Clinton? Yeah, that was oh, only well. about a spoonful. Uh, as fans of the old blues songs will note. Um, But Condoleezza Rice notes that we are a nation that adheres to law. Uh, Even though her good buddy, Jack Straw, the British Foreign Secretary, was forced on behalf of the European Union to ask for explanations of the possible, quote, violations of international law. Well, the Bush administration cares not two figs for even the concept of international law. But in further uh, explanation of this... uh, completely disastrous U.S. policy. It, if, if anything has rendered the Iraq War unwinnable, it's been the revelations of the uh, abuses of detainees and prisoners at Abu Ghraib and elsewhere. But uh, in today's Ann Arbor News, uh, Ann Guerin, an Associated Press writer, uh, in an item, CIA's work saved lives, Rice says. Uh, Ann Guerin says that Secretary of State has turned the tables on European critics. Uh, by saying that, well, the information gotten from this uh, torture has led to the saving of lives in Europe. And we've got a a question here of qualification. Uh, Here's uh, the middle of the article. Information gathered by U.S. intelligence agencies from a, quote, very small number of extremely dangerous detainees, close quote, the secretary said, has helped prevent terrorist attacks and saved lives in Europe. Okay, so a very small number of very dangerous people. So, okay, well, oh, yeah, that's acceptable. That's palatable. A very small number of very dangerous people. They deserve to be tortured anyway. She further says, though, Condi Rice, uh, that uh, regarding uh, European governments and their questions about uh, the CIA through flights or even participation in the coalition of the willing, Quote, it is up to these governments and their citizens to decide if they wish to work with us and decide how much sensitive information they can make public. They have a sovereign right to make that choice. Well, I'm not sure she realizes what she's saying there, but if it's up to the citizens of countries who have a sovereign right to make a choice to either assist the U.S. or not, well, then Donald Rumsfeld is right. There is no insurgency. There's just an invaded country. So, wow. 
But, of course, the New York Times goes on to uh, in a, a longer article by Joel Brinkley, talk about Condoleezza Rice's rock star status. Oh, really? Now, this is news to me. I follow the music scene well, pretty closely. she'll tour with you, too, soon. <laughs> and Bono can replace her as Secretary of State. That would be a, a win-win situation there. But this article is really conflicted with itself because it talks about her rock star status. And then an aide is quoted who says, We think it's very important that she connects with the ordinary citizens of the country she visits. Rock stars don't connect with ordinary citizens unless it's as a groupie backstage or something. Or doing bong hits with right? it. I mean, they're surrounded by security, burnouts, yeah. as is she. They are rushed in and out on limos, as is she. So, yeah, I mean, that much of it is like a rock star. But, for example, uh, this uh, aide goes on to say that she always, Condi, always tries to meet people and do events that an average person can relate to. For example, when Miss Rice arrives in Bucharest, Romania on Tuesday, Nadia Comaneci, the star of the 1976 Olympics, is to be waiting at the airport. Well, that's the best they've got for a celebrity, okay? So that's she's hobnobbing with celebrities, sure. But this woman is an underqualified, dangerous ideologue. And, uh, you know, anybody who has an oil freighter named after them should probably not be a secretary of state. Well, I was hoping she'd do some gymnastics and have a gymnastics exhibition <laughs> with Nadia Comaneci. Sure, why not? Maybe she can try the uh, perfect ten uh, on the uneven parallel bars. Oh, uh, which boy. Is what Nadia Comaneci is known for. Uh, oh, yeah, all sorts of other embarrassing revelations. We've got this, uh, you know, the United States paid to plant articles in Iraqi newspapers, just typical of the entire uh, public relations aspect of the so-called war on terror. Um, I was also fascinated by Mr. Bush's uh, quick uh, about face on the economy. Now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a couple days after a plan for victory, uh, he's out there telling the American public that the economy is strong and uh, the tax cuts are working, et cetera, et cetera. It's very interesting to compare uh, these economic statistics, the, the most recent unemployment statistics, with the economic data that came out uh, the week before 9-11. This is just fascinating. Uh, of course, the unemployment rate last month was 5%, and they claimed that uh, 215,000 jobs were created um, and, uh, you know, the, the United States or uh, the White House's response was the economy is in good shape um, and is, quote, as bright as it's been in a long time, quote, unquote. <laughs> interesting well, phrase in yeah. itself. It's interesting to uh, look at the numbers in terms of how the American public perceives the economy and why Bush is, is mired in these horrible jobless, uh, jobless approval numbers. For instance, in an ABC Washington Post poll last month, found that 52% of Americans believe the economy is getting worse compared to 18% who think it's getting better. 64% of respondents said the economy was not good or poor. A Harris poll last month found that 68% of Americans believe the country is on the wrong track. Mr. Bush's approval rating last month for his handling of the economy stood at 37%. That's approval. Yeah, and that is interesting because it's the exact number as the Iraq approval, uh, essentially, and it's his, it's his exact approval rating. So it's pretty easy to figure out Bush's approval rating, figure out where he stands on the economy, figure out where he stands on Iraq, add the two together, and divide by two. <laughs> 37 plus 37 divided by two is 37. 
That's the fuzzy math that Mr. Bush can probably actually perform himself without the assistance of Condoleezza Rice. So this is fascinating. Let's, let's look at some of the other numbers. During the eight years of the Clinton administration, by contrast, the economy generated an average of 240,000 jobs a month. Let's look at uh, the, the economic data from September of 2001, the Friday before 9-11. This is interesting. Uh, this is an article about you know what the, what the jobs report was that week. And basically the story was uh, businesses eliminated 113,000 jobs in August after a revised 13,000 positions in July. The 4.9% unemployment rate is the highest since September of 97. So in other words, this is the week before 9-11. It's actually, these numbers are better than the current numbers. So all these pundits that go on TV and say, well, I can't understand why Mr. Bush is not getting more credit for the economy, are living in a uh, land of fog, to say the least. Well, uh, front page story on the Financial Times today, very interesting. Uh, the a headline for the item by David Whiten, uh, writing out of New York, is Indian Growth for J.P. Morgan. And what it's all, and it's interesting also because today's front page of the New York Times also has a, a feature story on India. However, the Times' angle is, in today's India, status comes with four wheels. About the rise of India's middle class, which is, uh, according to Amy Waldman, grown to an estimated 250 million over the past des- decade. Of course, the number of super rich has grown sharply as well. Uh, increasing numbers of cars, uh, highway development to meet the need uh, of these car drivers. That's the New York Times on India. The Financial Times uh, offers some explanations as to how this middle class is doing so well, and it explains where a lot of jobs from this country are going. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase is planning to hire 4,500 graduates in India during the next two years with the aim of moving 30% of its back office and support staff at its investment bank offshore by the end of 2007. So I'm not exactly sure what uh, sort of total number that 30% is going to represent, but... uh, the uh, J.P. Morgan, which had uh, only 200 offshoring staff in India two years ago, is hiring between 300 and 400 graduates a month, planning for a total of 9,000 by the end of 2007. So there you go. Um, of course, those are jobs that won't be uh, here. Um, and that's all very good for India and their rising middle class, but uh, we're losing jobs here uh, every week. And indeed, <laughs> jobs in India aren't any good to American workers. Uh, there's a new uh, <clears throat> story out last week about, the, um, and this is actually a story that I sort of already knew um, because I uh, had read this particular book by Edwin uh, Moises, a uh, historian at Clemson, a couple of years ago. But it's interesting that apparently a historian named Robert J. Hanyak, uh published a article um, in 2001 that was sort of withheld from the public regarding new NSA documents about the Vietnam War. And, of course, the 
uh, headline on this article is Vietnam War Intelligence Deliberately Skewed, Secret Study Says. <laughs> Shocker. Shocker, after all these years. <coughs> and, of course, uh, the way the uh, Scott Shane of the New York Times describes this, this 2001 article, an elaborate piece of detective work, Mr. Henyot wrote that 90% of the intercepts of North Vietnamese communications relevant to the supposed August 4th, 64, attack were omitted from major agency documents going to policymakers. The overwhelming body of reports, if used, would have told the story that no t attack had happened. So a conscious effort in, uh, ensued to demonstrate that an attack occurred, quote-unquote. So this is a, a, a classic example of how, quote, intelligence being deliberately skewed can lead to the leader of the free world uh, lobbying for a big war. And, of course, Johnson was from Texas. Yep. There are all sorts of interesting theories about Johnson's initial uh, interest in the Vietnam War in terms of uh, helping Texas defense contractors. He saw it basically as a sort of a New Deal jobs-creating program and uh, was exceeded, exceedingly naive about any sort of real history about the, the uh, region uh, because he was basically sort of a a hill boy from, you know, the country. He was a country boy. And Lyndon Johnson, I mean, don't get me wrong, he did some great things on domestic issues. He Right, that was his strong suit. Yeah, he certainly had some... Uh, he was certainly able to implement much of the uh, Kennedy administration's uh, civil rights agenda, for instance. Precisely, yeah. And he was a New Deal liberal in terms of uh, being a, a very uh, untiring supporter of uh, FDR's economic concepts. But... Uh, like so many Americans, he's very ill-informed about world events and communism in particular. And this is, of course, why he um, was led into the war in many ways by this uh, militaristic uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff. And this is one of the troubling aspects of Mr. Bush's uh, plan for victory speech is he keeps claiming, well, we'll get out of Iraq when the military commanders tell me we're, you know, it's time to go. Sort of thing, and it's it's very funny because the military commanders that said don't go in or we should get out are removed from power. Right. So we know where the power lies, and to um, sort of claim that it's up to the military commanders to make these decisions is is well passing the buck. Indeed. In fact, a little item from uh, Alexander Coburn uh, off his Counterpunch news site here suggests that. Uh, uh, I'll just read this item from his Revolt of the Generals piece, which is up as of this weekend. A counterpuncher with nearly 40 years' experience working in and around the Pentagon told me, Alexander Coburn, uh, writing uh, this week that, quote, the four-star generals picked John Murtha to make the, his speech because he has maximum credibility and that... Uh, this, in effect, signals a mutiny in the U.S. Senior Officer Corps that the, uh, I mean, just to take some details from uh, Murtha's speech, that the uh, U.S. forces are broken, worn out, living hand to month, mouth. Uh, the war in Iraq has caused huge shortfalls in our bases at home, et cetera, et cetera. Since the revolution at Abu Ghraib, American casualties have doubled. We saw 14 killed in two days over the weekend. Um, so, well, yeah, the accelerating number is what's interesting. And, of course, Murtha's critique of the Bush administration's policy is not coming from 
a man who opposes war. His perspective is, I'm looking out for the military. Exactly. In other words, he's the public uh, spokesperson, shall we say, for a faction within the Pentagon, within the U.S. military, that says, look, this Iraq war is hurting us. Not us, the U.S., us, the armed forces. Um, the armed forces. Right. Our ability to wage war elsewhere is being undermined. Our recruiting is going down. There were uh, stories this weekend, incidentally, about Britain's problem with military recruiting. Yep. Because, of course, uh, the, the, the British uh, volunteer army sees uh, their future in the British military as uh, basically uh, being stuck in the sand of Iraq, <laughs> um, you know, guarding the, the Basra area. And by the way, the British only have 3,000 troops there. So... Uh, Though they, they probably have some additional support troops in uh, nearby areas. And, of course, Murtha's, his plan, so to speak, basically calls for a redeployment of the troops to Kuwait. He wants a 90,000 rapid deployment uh, unit to be basically on call, so to speak, in Kuwait in the event that uh, the situation in Iraq deteriorates after we leave, which is inevitable. But I've always believed... While there may be a PR um, campaign and public relations campaign to withdraw some of the troops uh, right before the 2002 or 2006 congressional election, our troops will be in Iraq through Bush's presidency. Oh, yeah. Because he can't afford to have Iraq unravel into a civil war. And needless to say, these so-called top military advisors will never give the president the advice... It's time to bring the troops home uh, because they're going to believe in all the fantasies uh, that he and Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld believe in. And I guess we could toss Condi Rice in there and all the other neoconservative uh, apparatchiks in Washington, D.C. that were part of the media um, campaign to get this war going. And as you go back and study the history, the chronology... Uh, we don't yet have the Pentagon Papers 2. Right. Uh, that, of course, was commissioned by Robert McNamara, Pentagon Papers, to figure out how we got into Vietnam. Uh, and this, of course, if you go back into the conspiracy theory regarding Nixon's paranoia about da Daniel Ellsberg, uh, it would probably show that Nixon played a bit of a behind-the-scenes role in the late 50s, throughout the 50s, as the vice president uh, in in terms of uh, making a stand against communism, in, uh, in particularly the Bay of Pigs, Southeast Asia, for instance, and Nixon yeah. probably at the end of the day was embarrassed about uh, what the Pentagon Papers report may have said about his role in uh, getting us into Vietnam. And of course, it wasn't just Vietnam, by the way. There were wars in Laos and Cambodia, right. as Nixon well knows. Uh, well, in fact, speaking of which, even if we were to see a uh, withdrawal of U.S. troops, it would almost certainly be uh, evened out, if you will, by an increased uh, aerial war, because that's exactly what Nixon did in Vietnam, was try to bring home as many soldiers as possible while upping the numbers of uh, bombs dropped on uh, Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos. Yeah, and it's interestingly, it's my understanding that Melvin Laird... Uh, head of the Pentagon during the Nixon administration, the architect of, quote, Vietnamization, has written a, a so-called influential article in the most recent edition of um, 
Foreign Affairs that uh, argues for the Iraqization, which, of course, entails probably increased bombing. And just for the record, by the way, while suicide bombings may offend Americans as cowardly and all that, and the roadside bombs, uh, of course, are horrible devices that uh, increasingly are becoming more powerful, uh, the United States has dropped 50,000 bombs in Iraq. Uh, it's my understanding that Seymour Hersh, I have yet to read this article, has a precise uh, detail of the contrast between the utter silence of the details. In other words, during Vietnam, the Air Force used to come out and hold these press conferences in which they would brag about how many sorties had flown into North Vietnam and what had been destroyed and all the... Uh, so-called results of the bombing. Kill numbers yeah. is what they were sometimes called. And, of course, they used to keep numbers themselves, whereas the United States keeps virtually no numbers on Iraqi civilian uh, casualties and certainly has, has kept this uh, the, the real details of the bombing a secret from the public. So 50,000 bombs is a rather frightening number. <laughs> we're, we're not talking about uh, 50,000 suicide bombings that have occurred in Iraq. Right. Um, so, you know, we're... F- fighting with sophisticated multi-billion dollar weapon systems uh, they're using uh, improvised road uh, explosive devices sort of like uh, U of M playing Pioneer High School in football (laughs) in other words the numbers at the end of the day we're killing a lot more of them than they're killing of us but what's the point what is the mission what is the goal and the game won't be on TV (laughs) And how do we? And why on earth do we have this word "victory" involved? There yeah. is no victory. It's like this myth about we won the Cold War. Well, what did we win? Where did we win the Cold right. War? It's fraught with delusions, which I think is a pretty good theme for the entire Iraq War policy of the Bush administration. Right. Well, we're just about out of time. I just saw Jerry Mack go down the <laughs> hallway. So Yazoo City will be coming up shortly. Quick brain damage award for uh, uh, President, uh, Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Ayad Alawi here, who apparently was uh, attacked by a mob on his way into and out of a mosque over the uh, weekend. Um, they were throwing rocks and shoes at him. Um, interestingly enough, though, uh, on his return to Baghdad, I'm reading here from an article by